You know, one place I have never been, and I've been to quite a few places, and I regret to say one place I've never been is to the Arctic, to Canada's Arctic. It's in my own country, and I've never been there. I think a lot of us have never been there. It's expensive. It's hard to get to. I'd love to go one day. Um, it's easy to forget, since most of us are crowded down here south near the U.S. border, that Canada has 162,000 kilometers of Arctic coastline, 162,000 kilometers of Arctic coastline. 40% of our landmass is made up of the territories, Yukon, the Northwest Territories of Nunavut. Canada is very much an Arctic country. And that landscape, even though most of us aren't there to see it, that landscape is changing and changing fast because of melting sea ice and rising temperatures, providing both economic opportunities, but also potential conflicts. The geopolitical terrain is shifting, particularly since Russia expanded its war in Ukraine in February, continues to develop closer ties to China. It represents a security challenge for Canada and all of NATO. It's seen that way. You'll remember in September, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg traveled with the Prime Minister to a Canadian Forces Air Base in Cold Lake, Alberta, to speak about the rapidly changing security threats in the high Arctic. Here he is. Canada's uh, presence in, uh, in uh, the uh, Canadian Arctic is important for the whole alliance. It's important for North America, but it's also important for Europe and uh, uh, all NATO allies. Because this is partly about the vital link uh, through the North Atlantic between Europe and North America. And it's about the fact that the shortest path uh, for uh, Russian missiles, for Russian bombers, is over the North Pole, the Polar uh, Sea. So therefore what happens here matters not only for Canada, it matters for the whole uh, alliance. Well, Global News senior reporter Jeff Semple went to the Arctic to get a first-hand look at a part of the region on board one of Canada's three new icebreakers, the HMCS Margaret Brook, to find out how this country could and should respond to the many changes happening above us. Here's a snippet. Margaret Brook will transit Belt Street. Commander Nicole Robichaux has served with the Royal Canadian Navy for two decades, but neither she nor any of her 65 crew members have ever seen anything like this. Margaret Brooke went and uh, poked our nose into the polar ice cap, just seeing the expanse of the Canadian Arctic. It was, it was quite fantastic. HMCS Margaret Brooke is part of a new fleet of Canadian icebreakers tasked with patrolling Canada's Arctic, including the full length of the Northwest Passage. So we went to the northern tip of Admon Rings Island. Sailing to the edge of the map, the furthest north that any Canadian patrol ship has ever dared to venture. We know where the land is by uh, grace of uh, satellite imagery, but um, what's under the water is still very mysterious in some places. Just a little sample there of Jeff Semple's reports from the Arctic. There will be several of them running through Monday on Global National. You can watch a full half-hour special on the new reality on Saturday evening. Check your local listings. Um, but we wanted to hear more about it. So Jeff Semple, Senior Correspondent for Global News, joins me now. Thanks so much for your time. Welcome back. Hey, Ben. Great to be with you. Uh, this is a, a fascinating idea. What was the idea? What was the idea behind the trip? What did you want to find out? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we wanted to, you know, obviously, selfishly, it's, uh, I was, you know, pretty spoiled in, in getting the opportunity to go up into the Arctic at all. And to see this part of the country that uh, few Canadians have, have ever seen was, uh, was too good to pass up. But also, you know, in terms of the story up there, like every year, the Canadian, um, Royal Canadian Navy takes part in, in these drills, these multinational drills with our um, Northern, Northern nations, other allies, the Americans, the French, 
uh, the Danish. But this year, you know, there's renewed interest and I think renewed tension, frankly, because of Russia, that Arctic neighbor that has really sort of upended the world order with its invasion of Ukraine. And of course, for years, Russia has been ramping up its military presence in the Arctic, reopening old Cold War bases and building hundreds of new structures. But I think we as Canadians have almost become desensitized to that growing military footprint Russia in the Arctic until February 24th when Russia invaded Ukraine. And, and I think according to many of the analysts we spoke to, it sort of felt, feels like Russia went from competitor to enemy. And the idea that Russia might ever one day, God forbid, attack North America uh, suddenly you know, went from a fantasy to unlikely, but you know, a possibility. And if Russia were to ever attack, the shortest route for a Russian missile to hit North America would be from the North Pole. So obviously, there's you know the the urgency from the Russian aggression, and also of course climate change, which is as we know reshaping that region in particular. The Arctic warming twice as fast as the global average, and so as as the ice melts, it opens up more of the Arctic to Canadians and the Canadian Navy, but also to a whole whack of other ships, from cargo ships to you know other countries, uh, which has whole other implications, um, particularly when you consider the competing claims that exist for some areas of the Arctic that are very resource rich. Yeah, I mean, it's a barren area that will be heavily fought over. I mean, there's it's probably the most disputed um, piece of land where few people live on the planet to some extent. How did you get there? Did it, This is just basic stuff, but you were on the HMCS Margaret Brook, but how, how did you actually physically get there? And what was it like when you landed? It must be an unbelievable sight. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, the, the scenery is, was just stunning, breathtaking. Sadly, the you know the weather up there doesn't always cooperate. The seas were pretty rough. Uh, and, you know, while we were up there, the queen died. Um, right. So we had to cut our, we actually cut our trip a little bit short. We disembarked. We said, can you pull over? And to their credit, they, they did in Pond Inlet. And then we went and joined you in London with the rest. That's of right. That's right. But the, the scenery up there is incredible. The only, and the last thing I would say, though, <laughs> Ben, is really do see the maritime traffic. When we right. got off and um, when we were in Cambridge Bay waiting to embark, Cambridge Bay is this little Inuit hamlet of 1,700 people on the western edge of the Northwest Passage, this tiny little community. And then this cruise ship rolls up and doubles the population of the town in an instant as these tourists get off. And it was just, you know, they say they've been inundated with cruise ships through the summer. It's just another example of how that landscape is changing and it is opening up to the world. Uh, and, you know, these cruise ships and that other maritime traffic need to be policed. We need to make sure our environmental laws are followed, among other things. And so that's part of the role that HMC, HMCS Margaret Book is hoping to play. So you really got a, a clear sign of just how much things are changing and how fast they're changing out up there. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is we, you know, we talked to, I spoke to Mark LaRoche, who is a, was the head engineer on board HMC Margaret Brook. Uh, he has more than 30 years with the Navy, more than maybe 2,000 days at sea. Uh, and it was fascinating to get the historical perspective from him because this is the first time in his career that he has been able to go up into some of these areas of the Arctic just because the ice has melted and made that possible. And because we now have these new icebreakers capable of cutting through ice that's more than a meter thick. Mark LaRoche told me it was, in fact, when he was a teenager growing up in Chicoutimi, Quebec, that it was he saw a documentary about the Northwest Passage and the ill-fated Franklin expedition. Right. But that documentary actually inspired him to join the Navy back in the 80s. For his entire career with the military, you know, the Northwest Passage was not accessible, and now it is. And now these icebreakers are patrolling the Northwest Passage for the first time. 
What sense did you get from them? I mean, we talked a bit about how the mood had changed since Russia's invasion of Ukraine back in February. How does that manifest itself on board or does it? I think it does. I mean, a, a lot of the um, you know members of the Navy were were reluctant to get too political with me, not for lack of trying, but of course they're you know very wary of you know kind of staying within their lane, if you like, as mem- members of the Navy and, and leading the politics to the politicians. But one of them told me it was really had been a a wake up call, the idea that or a reality check. These are sort of the common refrains that we'd heard that you know when they signed up for the Navy, you always imagine. You know, the world events could take a turn for the worse like they have in Ukraine. But I think it, for them, it, it has really impressed upon them the, the importance of the their service um, in the Canadian Armed Forces. It obviously just adds urgency and I think real value to the work that they're doing up there. Uh, because at this point, you know, as I noted, the Russians have been building up their military presence in the Arctic. You know, if they fired a missile, God forbid, a hypersonic missile or a cruise missile, like the ones that have featured prominently in Ukraine, if they fired one of those in North America, then very possible that we wouldn't see it coming. Uh, and that is because our North warning system up in the Arctic is is old. It is this, a chain of 47 radar sites stretching from Alaska to Greenland that was built decades ago for the Cold War to detect old Soviet bombers. And it is no match for Russia's modern-day high-tech arsenal. Uh, and that's part of the reason why the Canadian government this summer announced plans to spend $40 billion over 20 years to upgrade our Arctic defenses, including building a new surveillance system above the 70th parallel. Uh, but that's going to take many years, of course. And in the meantime, you know, we are uh, vulnerable. So, you know, we have these new icebreakers. Uh, the Canadian government is also purchasing about 15 new warships. And so we are slowly ramping up our presence in the part of the country, the part of the world that, you know, for so long was ignored. Uh, Jeff, what was the sense, I mean, just from your reporting, was there a sense that people are focused now a lot more on the Arctic than they have been in the past? Or is that still seeping in? Uh, It's a great question. I think it probably is still seeping into a degree. But I think there's no question that, uh, you know, Arctic security has been thrust into the spotlight, obviously, is in large part as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, as you outlined. And it's interesting, you know, as part of our reporting up there, we spent some time in some of the northern communities, you know, Calouit, in Pond Inlet, in Cambridge Bay, you know, these Inuit communities, I think, really feel it that um, and, and are, you know, interested, very interested in the fact that the Canadian government has committed to spending billions of dollars over the next 20 years to upgrade our defenses in the Canadian North. And a lot of people in those communities are hoping that that money could potentially be a win-win for Arctic security and Northern development. So, you know, if you're going to improve our, our military presence up in the North, it could mean things like, you know, improving the cellular infrastructure and con- internet connectivity in these communities where it is sometimes non-existent. You know, if you're building an uh, runway for fighter jets or ports for navy vessels, you know that could potentially be repurposed for civilian as a civilian transportation hub, and on and on we go. Um, so there's there are real hopes there, but I think also the you know this, the partnership there too is that um, you know we have the Canadian Rangers up in the north, a mainly indigenous unit of, of the military reserves, and so you know they are talking about constantly being underfunded. As one of them told me, it's they are the eyes and ears of the North. And so, you know, even HMCS Margaret Brooke has a new position on board. Uh, first time ever in the Navy. Uh, Emily Joss is a Indigenous liaison officer. 
Uh, and so her job is to, as a Métis herself, to connect with um, Northern communities and to uh, build that relationship because, you know, a lot of the, probably the, there were no nervous moments when we were on board, but there were moments where, you know, HMCS Margaret Brook was navigating uncharted waters, areas where they didn't know for sure what the depth was, you know, what's the weather going to be like when they get there, right? I mean, it seems remarkable. It seems remarkable in 2022 that that could still be true. That's right. Isn't it incredible? And, uh, and yet it is because the ice is, is melting and, uh, and revealing this new sort of incredible network of waterways that, that just didn't exist before. And so, uh, you know, they're relying a lot on that local knowledge from those northern communities to basically keep themselves safe and then in turn, you know, committing to help keep those communities safe by patrolling some of the traffic that's going through there now uncharted waters in so many ways uh through all the reporting any one big takeaway that you i mean i guess you went up there wanting to see how the landscape was changing how the security situation uh was shifting what do you walk away understanding the extent to which you know the northwest passage in particular you know which we claim is is canadian territory but other countries dispute that and including the united states it is it is opening up and the the maritime traffic is coming through uh, and it's happening whether we're ready for it or not. And it is, you know, a, a, a lucrative passageway connecting Atlantic to Pacific. We have, you know, as you noted, three icebreakers uh, of what will eventually be six icebreakers to patrol an area that spans 40 percent of, of Canada's territory. We are under understaffed. It's precious territory. Um and I think, you know, we are playing catch up. There's no question about it. But it, yeah, it's incredible to which the the, the, the game is changing. And how fast and, and how fast. Because I, I think a lot of us think of climate change in the north and think it's it's a slow moving process. But the way you describe it, it sounds like it's happening in hyperspeed almost. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have to say it, that's it. It's, it's, it is it is an example of where you can see the effects of climate change up close. And you talk to you know, Inuit fishermen who who see it, who are seeing it up close, right? Talking about the ice melting sooner, the weather becoming more unpredictable, the water becoming more unpredictable. Uh, you know, the U.S. Geological Survey estimates that the Arctic contains something like a third of the undiscovered, of the world's undiscovered natural gas, something like, I think, 10% of undiscovered oil. So there are, you know, there are important lucrative shipping lanes. There is a treasure trove of natural resources up there. Uh, and a lot of that is our territory. And so I think it's, uh, yeah, it was incredible to, to see it just breathtaking the scenery and also, uh, and really sort of came home with a sense of, of appreciating the urgency that we need to have to, to keep up with it. Jeff Semple, uh, thank you as always, uh, look forward to seeing all the stories that come out of this. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ben.